been looking forward to this chapter, Mark chapter 5, if you'd like to turn there in your Bible, the gathering demoniac. Is there a happier message in the whole world than a guy who had 6,000 demons in him and was set free? Uh, to me, this, this whole book of Mark, it's a book of action. It quickly moves from one narrative to the next, leaving the other gospel accounts to fill in the, the, the details of it. But, but for, for Mark, this is a, not only a book of action, but it's a book that shows Jesus' authority everywhere he goes. Whether he's in the synagogue, he speaks authoritatively. Whether he's having authority over the demonic realm, as we've seen before, and we'll see again in this chapter, or authority to heal people, authority to challenge rabbinic false teaching in the first century. It's all about authority. And if you believe that Jesus has all authority, you don't have a concern in the world. It's all in Jesus' hands. And because He has all authority, there is nothing that comes your way that didn't come before the throne of God first. And because Jesus is living in us, we have authority that sometimes we are reluctant to use. We, we sometimes get calls and messages here uh, at, at the church or on the answer machine. Well, pastor, need you to come over to my house and know me with oil. We got demons here. <clears throat> and we like to encourage people. What makes you think we have more authority than you do as a believer in Christ Jesus? The same Lord is in your heart that is in ours. There is no magic in this little anointing oil bottle. Olive oil will do just fine. Take authority. Oh, no, I can't do that. Why not? It's not that you can't, it's that you won't. That's very different. But because Jesus has all authority, we have delegated authority to us. Didn't Jesus say, my disciples, they're going to do even greater works than I did. And yet the church today has settled for a very unsupernatural walk with the Lord because we don't want to do that stuff. We don't, we're content with not seeing miracles because we don't move in power. We don't move in authority. We don't move in obedience to His Word. We just limp from one crisis to the next, never having any authority and experiencing little victory. That is not the will of God for any of us. This chapter is not only about authority, but victory for those that acknowledge this authority. There's many interesting lessons in here. Now, Jesus has left Capernaum. He sailed uh, in some vessel of one kind or another, probably one of the guy's fishing boats, and made their way by sail down to the very southeastern part of the Sea of Galilee. And down there, there is a small town by the name of Gadara. There is a town 35 miles further southeast that was called Gerasa. And the whole region wa was known as the region of the Gerasenes. So when you see him called the Gadarene demoniac, they're referring to the town. In other Gospels, you might see the word Gerasa referring to the capital of that whole region. It is all the same. There is no contradiction, as some critics would like to point out. But he's come from Capernaum, which means the village of Nahum. The Old Testament minor prophet Nahum, well, that's where he had come from. Well, those people there had slipped from their theological roots a long time ago. And yet Jesus made that little fishing village of Capernaum his headquarters, and every single Saturday was in Sabbath. I'll bet that made the people uncomfortable. I mean, you could just imagine the religious Orthodox community. It would kind of be like me having my pastor Chuck Smith sit there and then Billy Graham next to him and Franklin Graham next to him. It could be intimidating especially if those poor synagogue rulers had just been exercising religion but knew nothing of authority or power or victory. You don't want to be a part of that crowd. So our choice this morning is, do we acknowledge His authority? Do I exercise His authority as a child of God? And do I experience victory? Because if you're not experiencing victory over the things you face today, it's either an authority issue or failing to realize that Christ is in you and He is the hope of glory.
exercise that authority. Anyway, what we've got here is three different people in this, in this chapter, and they are as different as three people could be. All three of them have something in common. They all have a supernatural need that only Jesus can meet. Have you ever been to that place where you've got needs? Okay, you're a few bucks short and you're limping till the next payday, and it's not a big deal. But there are sometimes in your life things are a big deal. Jairus, a synagogue ruler who has been a church leader his whole life, and yet has no power, no victory, because he knows not Jesus, and he knows not Jesus' authority. So he has no victory. But when it comes down to his daughter dying, boy, that's as serious as it gets. He comes to Jesus, because he knows. I saw that guy in the synagogue at Capernaum. I saw him heal that guy with the shrivel hand. When everybody else doubted Jesus, Jesus said, hey, come on up here to the front. Come and stand right up here. I want you to stretch forth that shriveled hand of yours. And Jairus, the synagogue ruler, was there. He saw that. He still hadn't turned his heart and life over to Jesus Christ. Some people are just slow to believe. What does it take to move you to faith in Christ? Sometimes you and I have to come to the end of our rope. Oh, we may have been religious our whole lives. Oh, I was baptized when I was three years old or five years old or whatever. I went to this church or I got this background. None of that matters. None of that matters. It's not what gets you into heaven. It's not what saves you. It's not what gives you authority. But I hear it all the time. Well, I think I'm going to heaven, Pastor Jim, because, hey, I was a part of this denomination or that church or my parents were saved. Can't ride anybody's coattails into heaven. It's all between you and Jesus. I don't, I don't know where you are with Jesus today. Do you know him as Lord? Are you walking in power and authority? Are you experiencing victory? If not, can I tell you, it ain't God's fault. It isn't Jesus' fault. They've already done their part. They've already sent the Holy Spirit. They've given us the word. What excuse do we have for not experiencing victory in our lives? Just a few questions I want you to think about as we plow through our, our lesson this morning. Let's look at chapter 5 of the Gospel of Mark in verse 1. They went across the lake. They're moving southwest now from Capernaum to the region of the Gerasenes. Gerasa was one town, 35 miles southeast. Uh, the Gadarene demoniac, Gadara, was another town. So different Gospel writers refer to different parts of that region. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit, literally an unclean spirit, came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. He tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. It's amazing to me what people will tolerate in their own lives. Demonic activity, temptation, all sorts of things that were never God's intention for us. All of these three people in this passage, especially this poor guy here, their condition is hopeless. They've tried everything they knew. Well, that's the natural order. It's time to try Jesus. He is a supernatural God moving in the supernatural. But too often, we settle for our demons. Oh, you don't know my dysfunctional past, Pastor Jim. God does. Well, you don't know how many times I've been hurt and wounded. You don't know what diseases I've had to endure. You don't know how many times I've been in the hospital. It's not the issue of whether I know it or not. Does God know? Yes. Does he care? Yes. Does he have authority over that? Yes. Are you walking in victory? Ah, are you? Does anybody else think you are? Or do we cower down to our circumstances and accept it as our lot in life and we can do nothing about it? We settle for the ordinary when God wants us to move out of that realm into a supernatural realm that is touching the hem of His garment. Some people just don't want to take the effort. It's too hard being a Christian. No, it's impossible. 
But fortunately, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's what Scripture says. In our flesh, of course it's impossible. This poor demoniac, he's tried everything he can. Nobody in the community seems to be able to do anything about his, his condition. Their answer, well, let's put him in chains. How about we pray for him? Anybody ever think of that? Where's the synagogue ruler now? I mean, this guy's reputation, no doubt, was all over the place. Everybody knew about the Gadarene demoniac. So where's the Pharisees? Where's the religious leaders? Why aren't they going down there? Why aren't they, are they trying to exercise some authority? Because they'd lost sight of God a long time ago. They did not know God. They did not know His authority. They experienced no victory. Some people are trying to minister to other people, and they're trying to dip water out of an empty well until you're filled up. You've got nothing to give. You can go through the motions. Oh, you know, yeah, church leaders do this. And I pray for those church leaders that God would put a fire in their hearts. You know, they fan into full flame the embers of the Holy Spirit like Paul told Timothy to do. But sometimes it's just easier to go with the status quo. This guy had lived with demons and the whole community lived with a demon-possessed man and thought, yeah, it's okay. A demon-possessed man, really? Wouldn't you want to do something about that poor guy or try to help him in some way, shape, or form? Well, don't we do the same thing today? We don't cast their demons out. We put them in the Pueblo Metal State Hospital. Let's drug them. Let's chain them. Let's rope them down to the bed. Maybe they just need a demon cast out of them, somebody to take authority. I, I think that probably half of all mental institutions, uh, half of the people in there could be set free if they, if they just were exercised. But no, we don't want that to happen. We don't want God in our society anymore. So let's drug them. Let's chain them to the bed. And Christ died to let us be free of those chains. And yet we have settled for so little in our society. We must not settle for so little in the Christian community, in the church. There's got to be something different about us and the world. Would you agree? It starts with Jesus Christ. It starts with a fire, a passion, a fervor for Him that eclipses anything else in your life. I don't know or care what you do for a living. That just puts beans and weenies on your table. That is not who you are. That's what you do. But who you are is who you are in Christ Jesus. And until you get in touch with that, you'll never have authority. You'll never have power. You'll never have victory. Don't settle for so little. I would rather be a spirit-filled, on-fire Christian or dead. But the last thing in the world I want to be is lukewarm. And that characterizes the age that we live in today. Churches are lukewarm and loving it. Oh, just entertain me with the praise band. Put on some bangles and shows, smoke pots and lasers, and let's have a concert and call it God. Really? Maybe we've missed the essence of what Christ came to do. Maybe we ought to get on our knees. That requires humility. And maybe we ought to strive to touch the hem of His garment, push through whatever barriers stand in our way so we can have just a little bit of intimacy, so we can have that authority, so we can exercise that power and walk in that victory. Otherwise, we're going to sit around feeling sorry for ourselves the rest of our lives and licking our wounds hoping that others join us in the pity party. How many of you really love a pity party? I mean for others, not yourself. Nobody. Then why do we tolerate it? You tell me, tell me. Maybe you have a really good excuse why you keep God at arm's length. Tell me. Maybe you've got some really good reason. Maybe being backslidden, half-hearted with a marriage falling apart and disease-ridden and no power, no victory, no joy. Maybe that's working for you. Huh? Or maybe it's time for a change. It all starts at the foot of Jesus. I want to I take some lessons from this guy. Nobody wants to deal with him. It's easier to chain him up and forget they exist. He's got an unclean spirit. <clears throat> Notice he's demon-possessed. He's not mentally ill. He doesn't have multiphasic personality profile disorder. 
He's demon-possessed. When different voices are speaking out of the same person, that's not multiple personality disorder. That's demons, dude. We just need to say it for what it is. No, our answer today isn't Jesus. It's Medicaid. It's not politically correct to believe in God or demons today. And somehow or another, society thinks if we ignore both God and demons long enough, they'll just go away. Yeah, it's not the way that works. It says in verse 3, this man lived in the tombs. It wasn't uncommon in the first century for the poorest of the poor people to live in tombs and caves. And to, uh, caves were often used as tombs. And so they would be habited. I've seen homeless people right down here uh, on the banks of the Sand Creek do the same thing. They'll go halfway down the creek bed and they'll dig a tunnel back into the dirt. And they would rather live in a cave than do business with God. They would rather freeze to death in the cold than to give their lives to Jesus Christ. They would rather stay in their bondage to the drugs of demons and alcohol and pharmacia and drugs than they would give their life to Jesus Christ. But it doesn't have to be that way. It does not have to be that way. Christ came to set us all free. The only difference between us and this gathering demoniac is those of you that know Jesus have been set free. Your chains have been taken off, and you can give glory to God and say, hallelujah. You may not have had 6,000 demons, but I'll bet you had a couple. Do you drink too much or cuss too much or do X, Y, or Z too much before you got saved? Yeah, you had your demons. You had the minions of hell encouraging you to do stupid things that cost you immensely that you will later live to regret or if you... Or we've regretted enough to have taken it to the cross. He lived in the tombs. Uh, he was an outcast. He was uncontrollable. No one could subdue him. An interesting term there that means to tame a wild animal. That's what this guy was. He was out of control. He needed to be set free. Look at verse 5. This is insightful. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. You think you have a rowdy next-door neighbor? How would you like this guy for your next-door neighbor? He's howling in the night. So if we don't accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if we don't know God, this is what we settle for. A guy howling in the neighborhood who just needs to be set free. The purpose of demon possession is to torment and destroy people made in the image of God. Now, sin has marred that image. I'm not saying that it hasn't. But all people on this planet have been made in the image of God. Therefore, Satan hates all of us, especially Christians. Can I tell you what? He doesn't love anybody on this planet. He is out to kill and to destroy, to destroy that divine spark within every one of us that drew us to God in the first place. John tells us in the Gospel of John chapter 10, the devil comes only to kill and destroy. So if Jesus Christ isn't sitting on the throne of your heart, guess who is? Satan. He'll sell you on drugs and alcohol and sexual impurity and, and immodesty. He'll sell you on a thousand things. But know this, his purpose is to destroy you. He's not playing games. Who do you think has allowed fentanyl to come to this country uh, to kill 300 people a day in America? But nobody really seems to care. Why aren't we shutting the borders? Why aren't we going after the cartels? Why aren't we stopping this? Because Satan is at work and everybody is settled for the status quo. Well, that's somebody else's problem. I think caring says that I have to do something about these folks in our land. You have to do something about this. Maybe you work with somebody. Maybe you got a family member that's a lot like this guy. Mind you, I have 6,000 demons, but they all have a few if they don't know the Lord. Verse 6, when they saw Jesus, when he saw this demoniac from a distance, saw Jesus, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. I, in my mind's eye, I see the 12 disciples there, and they know about this guy. 
They hear him howling from a mile away. This guy is huge and hairy and weird and naked and he frothing at them. I mean, just everything, head spinning around. You could just imagine. And, you're, and he's running towards the disciples. And I'll bet the disciples are going, can we get back in a boat and maybe just kind of push off, you know? Uh, I think they were scared to death. Why didn't they have the authority to do something about it? Because they didn't know Jesus as deeply as they should have at this point in their ministry. They didn't know he had all power, all authority. They didn't know that. Oh, they'd seen him heal a few people here and there, but, you know, maybe they were getting over that cold anyway. Maybe their fever just passed accidentally, you know, I mean, a timing thing. Or maybe Jesus has all power and all authority. When they saw Jesus, when the demoniac saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. I'll bet it not only shook the disciples and their faith, not knowing what Jesus was truly capable of. But then imagine when they're surprised when they see the demoniac throw himself at the feet of Jesus. The demons know who's in charge. I like that. Every demon's going to bow to him someday. We can take authority ourselves as the children of God. We don't have to tolerate demonic presence in our lives or loved ones' lives or anything else. But we do need to get in touch with his authority. It's delegated to us. Jesus said, all power and all authority has been granted to me, Matthew 28, verse 18. He says, therefore, you, go. You, that's why we're salt and light in this world. That's why we've been given his delegated power and authority. It's not so we could settle for the status quo or go to a comfortable church service on Sunday. It's so that we could go out of here after a church service on a Sunday morning and change the world. That's what God wants you to do, not the guy sitting next to you, not your wife, not your husband. That's what God wants you to do. Did I make that personal enough? Am I ambiguous? This should be crystal clear, crystal clear. This is now on you and you and you and you and you and, and everybody else. Now it's between you and God. Well, that's pretty edgy teaching, Pastor Jim, like Jesus wasn't edgy, huh? Christianity is no good unless it's practical. Unless it changes you, we will never change the world. It starts with us. It starts with an open heart here. It comes with us bowing to Jesus' feet. That's humility. Without humility, no one, no one's going to see the Lord. It starts with humility. It starts with us acknowledging he is like the demons did. Even demons. If the world doesn't know Jesus is the Son of God, every demon in hell does. And they walk in fear of that name, Jesus. They know He's the Son of God. They have seen the heavenly realms. They were kicked out of heaven. They've been there. They've done that. They know there's a God. He kicked them out of heaven. <laughs> of course they know there's a God. And they know the authority and power of his son, and demons tremble. Can I tell you something? Satan is scared to death that someday you're going to find out how powerful you are. Satan is scared to death of you. You become a mighty man or woman after God's own heart, demons will flee all day long. I love that. If you're tired of the devil kicking you around, well, do some kicking back. Stick a finger right in the devil's eye, man. Say, how do you like that? Jesus has all authority, all power. Therefore, in Jesus' name, get out. You can take authority over the demons in your own life. You drink too much? You cuss too much? You struggle with pornography too much? There's demon behind, demons behind all of that activity. There's demons behind your pride that convince you, hey, I'm, I'm above X, Y, or Z, or I've got this degree or this credential or whatever else. Can I tell you what? Without humility, nobody's ever going to see God. Humility. That's what I see in this passage. A demoniac who knows his need is desperate 
these demons that know the power and authority of Jesus Christ and are scared to death of it. The disciples that have a pretty steep learning curve before them. Oh, man, I thought this guy was running at us to attack us. No, he came because he needed to, to be set free. You know, verse 7 reminds me of a passage that comes uh, out of James. You notice in verse 7, he shouted at the top of his, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to me, swear to God that you won't torture me. Isn't it interesting? Demons swear to God. Pagans swear using God's name, but because demons know power and authority when they see it, they make Jesus would swear by your father's name. They hate him to death, but they know that there's power and authority there. Don't ever swear using the name of God or Jesus. Don't ever do that. You have no idea of how serious a sin of blasphemy that is. Don't ever let that come out of your mouth. Even the demons acknowledged him. You're the son of the most high God. Swear to God that you won't torture me. That is, that, that is very instructive to me. James 2.19 says, you believe that there is one God? So, what do you believe? Do you believe that there is one God? Can I see your hands for a second? Do you believe that there is one God? Good. James says even the demons believe that. Well, Pastor Jim. <laughs> you see, because knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. Okay, do you see the difference? We've just come out of the Christmas season, but I remember historically, I, I studied history in school, and I remember that on Christmas Day in 1776, George Washington crossed the Delaware to attack the Hessians that were opposing his revolutionary forces. And he surprised them, and the victory was theirs. George Washington's first victory of the entire Revolutionary War, by the way. He had done nothing but fail, 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 fail up until that point in time. And those failures humbled him. You ever seen that portrait of him beside his horse, and he's on his knees at Valley Forge in the snow praying? That was his habit three times a day because all he had experienced was failure. And so he knew something about power. He knew something about authority. And so during that winter, he would make his way into the woods away from everybody else. And three times a day, he'd get down on his knees and seek God with all of his heart and mind and soul and strength. That's what that picture is all about. It's a picture of a man humbled by circumstance who knew his situation was inescapable, it was desperate, and there was no hope apart from the living God. But understand this, just because, I mean, most of the people in this nation still believe that there is a God. Most of the people in this nation are not saved. The demons believe there is one God. They were in His presence. They lived in His presence at one time. But do you know Him? Have you let your circumstances humble yourself to the point that you seek Him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Or do you just say, oh, the status quo is okay. I'm good. I prayed the sinner's prayer 50 years ago. I'm good. I don't, you know, I read my Bible when it's convenient. I, hey, I go to church, Pastor Jim. Surely that must count for something. You know, you come to church not only to get fed, but to look how to put your faith into practice. That's what church is about. If there is no challenge, there is no change. But you have to be willing to embrace that challenge. You can tell it easily in a congregation who does and who doesn't. If you don't embrace the challenge, you go like this, and you glare at me. Yeah, that really intimidates me. But there are a bunch of other people that have tears in their eyes and their hands and hearts are open. And they're saying, God, change me. Maybe I have more in common with Legion than I thought. I knew about God, but I didn't know God. Maybe today is the day that you're set free. This is all between you and God, by the way. All you have to do is open your heart and ask. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He'll lift you up. Say, Jesus, would you save me from my sins? I confess I'm a sinner to you. I believe that you're the Son of God. The demons do. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I know that you rose from the dead on the third. Jesus, would you be my Lord and Savior and change me? 
Release me from my chains. Set me free. But Legion isn't the only one that needs to be set free. Verse 8, Jesus said, said to him, come out of this man. Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion. Now, a Roman legion of troops was 6,000 men. I don't know if this guy had 6,000 demons in him or not, but wow. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And notice that he goes back and forth between the singular and the plural. There is one demonic chief spokesman, and there are many other demons in there. So he can flip between the singular and the plural, uh, being possessed by, by many at this point. I'll tell you what, as soon as the people heard the name Legion, they understood power and authority. The Roman Empire had it. They walked in fear of the Roman Empire. They were under the oppression of them. So the very name of the man suggests great strength and oppression. My name is Legion, he replied, verse 10, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Now Luke tells us what what Legion was most afraid of was being sent to a place called the abyss, the bottomless pit, the place of eternal demonic torment. They would rather do anything than to be put in the abyss, that place of eternal torment put by God to not house any human souls, but every demonic soul. And they are scared to death to go there. They would rather inhabit pigs. They couldn't inhabit people. They'll take pigs rather than to go into the abyss. Now, I don't know whether you believe in hell or not, but every demon in hell does. Jesus Christ spoke more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. He knows it's real, and he died so that no one has to ever go there. That's why he came. He didn't come to condemn. I don't want anybody in this room to feel condemned this morning. I'm not here to condemn you. Jesus Christ certainly isn't. He's here to set us free. He's opened the prison doors, but we do have to stand up and walk out. Instead of saying, well, the jail's not so bad. I mean, chain, oh, it's not so, not, not terrible. Oh, it's terrible to say, Jesus, I'd prefer my bondage to my freedom. What a terrible tragedy that is. I would rather settle for lukewarmness than being spirit-filled and, and on fire. And the judgment that follows is amazing. Look at verse 11. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And so Jesus gave them permission. Notice that demons can't even inhabit swine without getting Jesus' permission. They got no power. They got no authority over over the Son of God or the child of God. So he, verse 13, gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Notice Jesus didn't kill these pigs. The demons did. Why? Because the devil is only out to kill and destroy. Why does that surprise us? It wasn't Jesus that killed the pigs. So there's really a twofold judgment here. There's a judgment against the demons, yep. There's also a judgment against the pig herders. Pigs were an unclean food on the Jewish dietary uh, menu of things. They couldn't have pork in, in any kind at all. And, and I think that's really a shame. And I'm so glad I was born this side of the cross. I mean, you think of pulled pork sandwiches and stuff like that. And I, I'm grateful that I can have my bacon and, and stuff like that. that. That's all fine. They couldn't. They couldn't back then. Now, the place is called Gadara or Gerasene. Gadara comes from the root word Gad, which was one of the 12 tribes of ancient Israel. It used to, this strip of land used to belong to one of the 12 historic tribes, but they've gotten so far away from God, now they're pig herders? Are you kidding me? And they thought they were all right, spiritually and otherwise. They'd gotten so far away from God. Most people that think they're okay with God today are not. compromised. They keep God at arm's length. There are forces at work trying to keep the national anthem and and the Pledge of Allegiance out of our schools. Can't pray. Why? They're scared to death of God. Demons always have been. Are there demons in Washington? (laughs) Some of them wear clothes, (laughs) suits even. 
I'll tell you what, America has its greatest need is God. Not a change of administration. What we need is, is godly men and women in office that will, will follow the, the commands of Scripture and bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some 2,000 pigs are destroyed, but Jesus didn't destroy them. The demons did. But notice that the people in the area had tolerated uh, the demon in their midst for a long time. Why do we tolerate demons in our society for so long? And you say, well, I'm scared to death of, of uh, spiritual warfare. Then you don't know who you are in Christ Jesus. Look at what the Scripture says. You're a child of God. Jesus said, all power, all authority has been given to me, therefore you go. And that's delegated power and authority. Don't cower in fear to spiritual warfare. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. He's scared to death. You're going to find that out someday and actually live like it. Do you live like God is the priority of your life? And would anybody in your family agree with that? We sometimes think, I'm okay with God. And yet our loved ones around us go, man, you are not okay with God. You're so prideful. You're so arrogant. You're so deceived. You're so lustful. You're so given to alcohol or drugs or whatever else. But we convince them, no, I'm good. Hmm. People often tolerate the presence of demons in their lives, but these pigs couldn't. <laughs> You want to be as smart as a pig, okay? These pigs could not tolerate the presence of, of demons in their lives, although Legion had for a long time and the people of Gadara had for a long time. Don't tolerate the presence. You're smarter than a pig. Come on. Don't tolerate demons in your life or, or anyone else's. Take authority. Verse 14, those tending the pigs, hmm. Those standing, the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and people went out to see what had happened, all the dead porcine carcasses at the bottom of the cliff. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Why fear? They should have been happy. This guy's been set free. Isn't that cool? Look what Jesus can do. Surely he must be the Son of God. No, 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 no. They're walking in fear. Fear of financial loss, fear of what's going on, fear that maybe these demons now that they can't be in the pigs are going to settle somewhere else in that community, but not fearful enough to drive them to the feet of Jesus. They're afraid. They think they know how to deal with the situation, and when they see the man in his right mind sitting at the feet of Jesus, they're scared. To, they're more afraid of a free man than they were a demon-possessed man. Does that strike you as being a little oxymoronic? Good grief. Afraid of a free man, but tolerate a possessed man in, in your midst. I think they were fearful for several different reasons, not only of financial loss, but their superstitions were, were shattered, and they didn't know what to make of it. According to their superstitions, demons should have had the upper hand over Jesus. In their mind, the demonic realm was the darkest and deepest and most powerful realm there was, and that simply was not true. And now their superstitions have been shattered. Jesus is greater than any demonic entity whatsoever. They had a hard time accepting this. They had a hard time accepting that Jesus was the Son of God and had all power and all, all authority. And what their response is to me is the most pathetic response I've ever heard in my life. Verse 17, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They didn't mind having a tormented, shattered human being in their midst that was possessed by 6,000 demons, but they couldn't stand to have Jesus around. The Son of God who could heal and set demons, uh, cast them out and set people free. They, they, didn't, they didn't mind having Jesus around as long as he fed them, as long as he didn't ask anything of them. But once he gets in their pocketbooks, you shouldn't be herding sh uh, swine. What, what are you guys doing? They didn't want that around. They didn't want the conviction of their conscience. They didn't want to be told there's something wrong in this land spiritually. They didn't want to hear that. So, Jesus, would you just pack up and leave, please? And I wonder how many people have done that this morning in this building. 
I've been challenged, but I don't like it. I've been confronted with where I'm at, but I don't want to give it up. Yeah, I got my demons, but leave me alone. I know I'm chained, but I don't mind being chained. Jesus, would you just go? Here's the saddest part of all. He will. You ask Jesus to leave you alone, he'll walk right out. Isn't it sad that in the book of Revelation, in chapter 3, there is a church there called the church at Laodicea in Asia Minor at the time. And Jesus was outside the church building knocking on the door to come in. What's he doing on the outside of the church? Why isn't he on the inside of the church? Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I'd be in the midst of them. So why don't we every single Sunday, in at least our hearts and minds, throw open every door, peel back the roof, and say, Jesus, come inhabit the praises of your people again. Why don't we ask the pillar of cloud to descend and the pillar of fire to stir our souls again and to reignite the passion that we once had, but don't anymore. We've kind of settled for the status quo. It's okay. I'm lukewarm. I know it. But I'm not going to change. You're going to ask Jesus to leave? Really? It's not Pastor Jim you say no to. It's Jesus Christ. I'm just an under-shepherd. I'm just a pastor, teacher by the will of God. This is all between you and the Lord. But understand what he's calling you to today. He's trying to set you free from the chains of lukewarmness. He's trying to set you and I free from the sin that does so easily trip us up, according to Hebrews. I want Jesus to set me free from everything I ever face, because if the legions aren't running at me, other demons will. I mean, this world is fraught with all sorts of things that the enemy throws at us, trying to discourage and demoralize us. Greater is he who is in me. I have to remind myself of that so many times. So they asked Jesus to leave, verse 18, and as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that's the ten cities to the east of, of the Dead Sea, uh, up to, towards north to, to the Galilee, how much Jesus had done for him and all of the people were amazed. That's why Jesus sets people free. So you can tell other people that Jesus set you free. He can set them free. That's called your testimony. That's what, you, that's what life is all about. That's why Jesus didn't allow you to become one of his 12 disciples. He's got a unique work for you and I that has us getting out of our boat and walking on the water and convincing people this guy named Jesus is the real deal. You need God in your life. That's, a, that's our mission to tell people, to set them free. Don't be like the people of Gadara going, yeah, he's demon-possessed, leave him alone. Or better, chain him up and get him out of here but I don't want to deal with it. I don't actually want God to save anybody, and I'm certainly not going to tell anybody how to be saved. Really? Then haven't we just asked Jesus to leave us alone? Hmm. Much to think about. Much to think about. He had been demon-possessed, but imagine this. Jesus said, no, you stay where you're at and tell your family and friends, and what a story to tell. What a story. I'll bet this guy had a, a standing audience everywhere. You're getting legion. You're, you're a legion, aren't you? Yeah, but I'm not going to turn my head on, on a post anymore or you know, slather at the mouth or have 6,000 voices talking through me. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. What a witness. He had what a testimony. Yours is just as good. Your life has been just as much changed. Jesus now sits on the throne of your heart. Just tell people, I used to be a wreck and now I'm not. Was once blind, but now I see it. I was a wretch. He's now adopted me into his own family. Your testimony is powerful. Why don't you share it? Because the demons don't want you to. That's it. Don't let demons hold you back. Well, I could get fired from my job. Then get fired. 
and give glory to God as you walk out the door. He's got a better job for you somewhere else. You don't have to cow down to the forces of society today. Obey God. Make that choice. God is asking much of his disciples, and he asks much of Legion, as he did the 12 that got back in the boat and went back to to, uh, Capernaum. He always asks much of us. Ours is to daily pick up our cross, deny ourselves. Now, there's the catch. I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to give up squat. I don't want to give up my family, my pets, my, my hobbies. I'm so cool at my hobby. You have no idea how good I am. I know you need to die to your pride. And I know the answer is Jesus. And walking with him in all humility. The man had a more important ministry than getting in the boat and heading back to Capernaum. And when Jesus comes back to the area of the Decapolis, tens of thousands of people turn out to hear Jesus because of this one guy, this one guy who had a testimony like none I've ever heard. I mean, he's got, he's got a, a, a story that is unbelievable. But it is interesting that he, he tells this guy no, and he tells other people yes in the same chapter. But we, we don't want to hear God's no. We always want God to agree with us, don't we? Here's why I'm praying, Lord, because I want you to see things my way. I want you to do what I just asked you to do, like he's some genie in a bottle or something. Sometimes God says no because he's got a greater work for you somewhere else, like, like he did here in, in the case of Legion. But these people had made an evil request. Uh, Jesus, depart from us. This guy wants to get in a boat with Jesus, not for what Jesus can do for him. He just wants to follow him. I don't follow Jesus because I'm going to ask that he make me a wealthy man or to win the billion-dollar lottery that's out there, really. I just want to follow him. I just want to get on my knees and want to grab the hem of his garment, and I don't ever want to let go. And I want him to turn around and say, who's that that's tugging in my garment? Oh, it's Jim. Yeah, good, Jim. Come on. I like that. That's where I want to be, at the feet of Jesus. I don't want to be anywhere else. I don't want to do anything else. Everything else in life is a distraction. We have to work to keep beans and weeds down the table. But that's not your calling. That's just what you do. That's not who you are. And that's what Jesus is reminding Legion of. You're a born-again child of God now. Go out and tell other people. That's the same thing he's asked the church to do. But the church today is silent. I mean, I don't want to get too personal, but when's the last time you won somebody to the faith in Jesus Christ? When's the last time you told anybody how you got saved? Now, I just stepped on a whole lot of toes, which was not my intention, but the silence in the room tells me you haven't been sharing Why? The demons want you to shut up. Your choice as to whether to obey them or let the fire of God so burn in you that you tell people what God has done for you like Legion did. You've been set free. Your testimony is every bit as vigorous. But why aren't you sharing? Why is it that people are not coming to faith in Jesus Christ? Because they face a silent church that is self-absorbed, wants to be comfortable, wants to be entertained, but does not want to be challenged. If we're going to be world changers, it's because change happens in here first. Let it. Don't fight God on this. Don't settle for the status quo. Don't stay in prison or chained by a devil who wants to keep you silent. If you haven't shared your testimony, what God has done, if you haven't shared that with anybody in the last year, then understand that Satan has you in chains. You're as chained as Legion ever was. Jesus died to set you free from those chains. Don't let Satan lie to you that you're still shackled when in fact you are not. Let Jesus set you free again. Let him set you free again. Maybe you forgot that he opened the prison doors and he actually meant for you to walk out, not sit there on the cot feeling sorry for yourself. Praying for the rapture so you don't have to share your faith. I do not want to do the work of the devil. I will not stay silent. We just sang that song, I will not be quiet. 
then why are we so quiet? We'll talk about anything. We'll talk about ourselves. We'll talk about our hobbies. We'll talk about our jobs. We'll talk about the weather. We'll talk about football or whatever sports raging out there. But we won't talk about God. We won't talk about Jesus Christ like we're ashamed of Him. I want Jesus to be a part of every conversation I have because I got nothing else. I got nothing else. Can I tell you, our lives are centered in Christ Jesus. I will not be silent. I want to go out doing what Jesus Christ asked me to do. So Jesus, verse 20, go out and tell these 10 cities, that's what the word Decapolis means, how much Jesus had done for him, and all of the people were absolutely amazed. You know, the story to me tells me of the value of one human life. One human life. Isn't it interesting how many times Jesus wasn't dealing with the masses, a lot of times he was dealing with people one-on-one. Isn't that amazing? You think about that. The individual. We're going to see uh, next week (laughs) the next two people in this chapter that also have a desperate need, three people in, in very different circumstances, but each with a unique and desperate need that only Jesus could meet. And there were tests involved for all three people. Do you have faith? Do you believe that I'm, I'm the Son of God? To the demoniac, will you obey? I'm sending you on a missions trip, dude. And I want you to, I want you to save the entire ten cities that are before you. I can, I can hear the excuses. Well, I'm just one man. What can I do? The next time Jesus shows up, tens of thousands of people in that area, because of legion, turn out to hear Jesus, and many thousands are saved. Don't be silent. Will you and I be obedient? But what needs do you have that only Jesus can meet? What, what needs do you have? Do, do you come to him in humility like the three people will find in this chapter? Or do we tolerate that bondage to demons, disease, or live in fear of death? Or life, for that matter. Lots of bondage to fear and doubt and uncertainty out there in the church today. Where's our faith? Where's our faith? And I think of all of the individuals in the in the life's ministry of Jesus, uh, he came not just full of compassion, he's passionate about what he came to do. I want to be a passionate Christian. I don't want to be lukewarm at all. I know you don't in your heart of hearts. Then ask Jesus to rekindle the fire in your heart. So you and I, if not world changers, at least we can be community changers. Church changers, home changers, set the tone in our own home. Individuals are so desperately important. I think of the one man with the shriveled hand. I think of the one woman at the well who had lived with a whole bunch of different guys at her house, like living in sin is something new under the sun. I think of the one demoniac set free, the one synagogue ruler in this chapter that has a unique need, this one woman who has the issue of blood. Can I tell you what? You're an individual and have unique needs only God can meet. I just encourage you to turn to Him to meet those needs. Stop trying to figure it out yourself or try to understand what's going on. Just give it to God. Uh, James says, if any man let him ask in wisdom, let him ask of God who won't upbraid you, he's not going to rail against you, and he'll give you wisdom to understand why you're going through what you're going through. But the temptation of our flesh is to be like the nation of Israel in its wilderness wandering, to whine and murmur and grumble and complain, forgetting that we have the victory. We forgot that somewhere along the line. We have the victory. I am a child of God. It is true that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Satan's out there. The demons are out there. Yep, greater is he who is in me. So I don't, I don't worry about that stuff. I don't worry about life. I don't worry about death. 
I want Jesus Christ to consume every part of me. Whatever you got to do to keep beans and weenies on the table, that's fine. Do that. Do it in the love and strength and grace and compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. The other 16 hours of the day you want to give to God. He died to save you. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you or nothing. I mean, it's all in or walk away. But lukewarm and half-hearted, that's not what Jesus came to give us. He came to give you and I victory where we have not experienced victory. He came to give us joy where we've lacked joy. He came to give us all this world cannot give you. But if we don't come to the throne, if we don't bow at the feet of Jesus Christ, we'll never know that, that victory. I want you to read ahead for, for next Sunday morning's message because these other two people also have desperate needs. And there's a lot that they have in common with Legion. They don't have demons, but they sure got some needs. Sure got some needs. All of your answers are found in Jesus Christ. All of your needs are met in Jesus Christ. My God will meet all of your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's a promise given us uh, by Paul writing his letter to the Philippian church. That's the riches of His glory. I don't care about riches on this planet. I care about riches in heaven. You know, we're in this for the long game. I don't know if you knew this or not, but eternity is a long time. Whatever issues we're facing in this life, that's the short game. Don't obsess with that. You're in this for the long game. And it must be with Jesus Christ quarterback in this thing. Does that make sense? Let's stand together and close in prayer. I hope that I have answered your questions at least uh, about Legion, but I want you to look ahead into these other two people Jairus, the synagogue ruler. You mean the guy who probably kicked Jesus out of the synagogue after he healed the guy with the shriveled hand? Yeah, that Jairus. Now he's got to come begging Jesus for a little help because his need is desperate. Or this woman with an issue of blood. Isn't it interesting that both of them had these issues going on for 12 years? I don't want to tolerate defeat spiritually or otherwise for 12 years. This is the day God wants to set you free and ignite that passionate fire in you again. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and just open up your hearts. This isn't between you and me now. This is between you and God. But I encourage you to pray a prayer like this if you don't know God. The demons knew about God. They even knew God but had chose to rebel against Him. Don't be a part of that crowd. Just say, pray something like this, God, I need you in my life. I've tried a million things and come up shorthanded every time. I have sinned and chased after the flesh. I've been prideful, angry, arrogant. I've been a drunkard, a drug doer. I've slept around. I've committed every sin I could think of. Forgive me, oh God. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God who died on that cross to pay the penalty that my sins deserved. I believe with all of my heart that you rose from the dead on the third day to give new life to me. Would you be my Lord, my God, my Savior? I swing wide open the door of my heart. Make my heart your home, Jesus. Because I want to be different. I want to be changed. Life sucks and I hate it. And I need you so desperately. My need is as great as legion. Save me. If you prayed that prayer, you're saved. You're saved. It's a done deal. If, on the other hand... You've settled for lukewarmness like the people of Gadara had. You've settled for the demons controlling our land. You've settled for defeat and lukewarmness and pridefully thought it was all about you. Repent of that sin this morning in Jesus' name. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. He died to give you and I victory. Let him cast the demons out of your life this morning and pray something like this. Jesus, I don't want to be lukewarm and I certainly don't want to walk in defeat. So rekindle afresh in me the fire, the pillar of fire that descended in front of the tabernacle in the time of Moses. I need in my heart, Lord. I've become lukewarm and uncaring and unspiritual and I've convinced myself that all of that is somehow or another okay. I've listened to the voice of darkness and demons and I've believed that lie and I've repented of that sin. 
I humble myself in your sight and ask that you fill me afresh. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk in victory, Lord, not cowing down to the forces that come against me because I believe with all my heart greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I give you my heart afresh. Make me a passionate and a compassionate Christian father. In Jesus' name. God is good. God is good. Never forget, he loves the individual. He loves the individual. He came and preached to the masses, but he revealed his power and authority and love to individuals. Whether it was Legion or Jairus, the synagogue ruler, or this woman with the issue of blood later on in the chapter, Jesus died for the individual. He died to change the individual. He just needs an open heart. He can call his home. God bless you.